Today is Mother's Day, and so what we're going to do for Mother's Day is a sermon about a father and a son. <laughs> right? Uh, we're back in Luke today. Um, you know, <clears throat> do you guys know the movie Psycho? You guys like this movie? I love Alfred Hitchcock. One of my favorite movies ever was Rope. Have you ever seen Rope? Really? It's like one of his early ones. It's like a play almost. They shot the whole thing with just like two or three takes, you know, and this guy kills his friend and then puts him in the trunk and then has all his friends over and serves brunch, but on top of the trunk where the body is and people keep almost opening it. Very good movie. Anyway, I love Hitchcock. But anyway, Psycho, you guys know about Psycho, right? Um, <clears throat> you, the, the movie opens up and there's a character named, uh, I googled it because nobody knows her name. You know the blonde lady at the beginning? Um, anybody know her name? Off, I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, neither did I. It's Marion Crane is apparently the character's name. So she steals some money from her boss and she hits the road. She stays in this little motel. And when you're watching the movie, you, you're starting to think, wow, is she like the main character? You know, the whole beginning of the movie is about her. And then just out of nowhere, what? you know, a guy killed her in the shower. So for the whole setup, you think she's the main character and then, you know, boom, all of a sudden she's not. <laughs> right? She's not in it anymore. Another movie where this happened was, and I never, I don't think I've seen these. Maybe I saw it in high school. I don't really remember it, but I know about this. That, you remember those Scream movies? Didn't they just do like Scream 38 or something recently, you know? Because um, if any movie needed 38 sequels, it was that one, right? Uh, anyway, but Drew Barrymore signed up to be in that movie, you know, and it was like kind of a big deal because she did all the promotion, like she was the main character in the movie, and this is in the mid-90s, right, at the peak of Drew Barrymore's fame, and then they killed her in the first scene, <laughs> and nobody knew. It was like a huge surprise, right? All of a sudden, she's not the main character. That's kind of the story we're reading, the prodigal son story, right, is the younger son that we read about last week is not the main character of this parable. It's a, he's an important character, and the whole prodigal son part where the son leaves and comes back to the father is a very important part of this story. But it's not the main part, right? So now we got to get to the part that's like the main character. we got to get to Norman Bates sitting in the house with his dead mother, right? Um, if you've never seen Psycho, that was a very weird sentence to hear during a sermon. You can Google it, right? All right, so just let me give you the, what's that? Spoilers. Yeah, spoilers from 50 years ago. Yeah. Wasn't it like, by the way, Hitchcock, he's kind of a genius, right? Didn't he like have people sign waivers or something, like to make it seem scarier than it was? I forget what he did. Like, you know, he put up warning signs about heart attacks and stuff like that, you know. And <laughs> Anyway, all right. So the context of our parable, the beginning of this parable in verse 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and the sinners we're all drawing near to him, that's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So this is the context of our, our entire chapter, right? Is that Jesus keeps hanging out with people that these religious leaders don't like. Uh, hold on, let me set this here. Um, and they get mad. And they, remember I said, this is one of the few things that these guys actually accuse Jesus of that he's totally guilty of. He keeps eating with these guys. And receiving them and have you know, and Jesus goes, yeah, that's kind of the point, right? So he tells a couple of parables, um, and the, the, we're reading the third parable, and it starts, there was a man who had two sons, right? So if you remember, we have our three characters. We've God the Father, 
We have the younger son, who are those sinners that Jesus keeps eating with. And then we have the older son, the Pharisees representing the Pharisees and the tax collectors. And so, look at verse 7, uh, right there. Uh, do you remember, um, in the parable, one of the parables right before this, Jesus says, just so when a sinner comes to faith, I tell you there would be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So this is the context here, is Jesus is talking about how excited heaven gets, right? All the angels and the people there with Jesus, you know, with God. And, um, you know, everybody, every time a sinner comes to faith, it's like, uh, you ever been to one of those annoying restaurants? Like, what is it, where you tip and they ring the bell and all the people behind the, the counter clap? You know what I mean? You've never, they used to do that at Cold Stone, right? It's every time somebody drops a tip in the jar, the whole, boy, I, if I worked there, I, that would, mm-mm. Right, but imagine if that was genuine. <laughs> right, that's kind of what happens every time a sinner comes to faith. Somebody in heaven rings a bell, and then everybody goes bananas. Or it's like um, Pee Wee Herman's secret day of the word, uh, secret word of the day. Yeah, that's the way you say that. You remember Pee Wee Herman, right? And somebody says accidentally, accidentally, ah, you know, and everybody goes crazy and they celebrate. Okay, that's what happens in heaven every time somebody turns from their sin. Uh, and Jesus talked about, though, what about these 99 who don't think? He's, if you remember, we talked about this. Basically, it's not that they don't need repentance. It's they don't think they need repentance. And they're stuck up and they're punks. These are the elder sons that we're talking about, right? And here's the thing. Churches are filled with elder sons, especially American churches, right? Um, not our church. We're not filled with anything, but that's a joke. See what I did there? Uh, but churches, I mean, and we have less of a problem of this in San Francisco because you don't have to go to church here. You can go to brunch and nobody cares. Right? There's no cultural pressure to go to church here. Uh, but still, this is a problem, right, is falling into this sort of self-righteous mode. So let's see. Let's read a, just a couple verses from, uh, you know, the story, right? So the, the son leaves, he comes back, verse 12, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share, or sorry, this is the beginning of the parable. Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. So this, the parable starts with this younger son asking for his dad. I wish you were dead. Asking his dad. I wish you were dead and I want stuff from you. Now, what we talked about last week is what would happen is in a normal, this culture normally, the older son when the father died would get two thirds of everything and the rest of the kids would split up one third of whatever was left. But by this younger son asking for his two thirds now, what happens is, by the time the father does kick the bucket, that two-thirds that the older son is going to get is going to be significantly less, right? There's less stuff to split up because he already took a third, and that stuff had less time to grow, and, you know, um, there's less money to be split up. So that's the first thing. This younger son has basically robbed his older brother. The second thing is, he's also, remember, this is honor-shame culture. He's brought this huge shame upon this family. He went up to his dad, and he said, I wish that you were dead totally selfish. That's the sign. Oh, it's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, he told his dad, like, I wish you were dead. He's being very Western <laughs> and individualistic. I'm the center of everything, and I want what's coming to, be coming to me now, which is really interesting to see somebody acting like this in a parable in the first century. And the reason this is weird is because this would have been totally out of the norm. Nobody would have, 
We read this now and we go, oh, I'm sure that happens all the time (laughs) with our individualistic selves. But back then, that never would have happened, right? Um, So this would have had a huge uh, social impact on this family, in this community. All of a sudden, they're not the family with the grape farm who grows the grapes or whatever, and everybody loves the food they produce, and he's a pillar of the community. Now, all of a sudden, he's the terrible father that couldn't keep his kid in line right? And whose son basically went up and said that, I wish you were dead. So what happens is, um, uh, where I'm not going to read this whole thing, right? But in this section here in 20 through 24, the son comes back and um, the father receives the son back. And it's not what you would expect. What we talked about last week is what you would expect would be for the father to slap the son in the face, and to say, you're not my son anymore, you're dead to me. But that's not what happens, right? The son is accepted back in. Now, um, now we get to the juicy stuff, right? We get to the older brother's story. The main point of the whole parable is these couple of verses here with this older brother. So the, the younger son is home. They're having the party. Now the older son was in the field. He came and he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants, and he asked him what these things meant. So the older son is out there in the field. He's working hard. So while the younger brother was partying in a far-off country, the younger brother was in Vegas with what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas till you run out of money kind of a thing. Um, The older brother was back home in, I don't know, Bakersfield or somewhere, right, where it gets very hot, and he was roasting. (laughs) And he's out there, and he's working in the field. Now, has anybody here ever worked on a farm in the heat? like out in the grass with the dirt. And I used to do this at my grandparents' place sometimes. Dude, it is, and it's brutal. It's also even more brutal if you're a, like a crazy indoor city kid like I was, right? That sun beating down on you. It, it sucks to be out there. Now, imagine every day he's out there doing whatever farmers do. I don't know, putting seed on the ground or something. I live inside. I don't know how that works. Uh, but he's out there every day roasting to death in the heat. Imagine the resentment that built up as he walked around and thought about his idiot brother who took all the money and left and is out there partying somewhere. And just year after year, we don't know how long this whole process took, but you know, however long it was. So then he's out there one day and he hears music. Now music was for a special occasion. A quick, interesting, just like first century historical note um, uh, about first century Roman Jewish culture is they didn't have Bluetooth speakers. Uh, That was in all the commentaries I read. And for us, music is a very big part of everyday life, right? Uh, Especially for me, because I play music and new album drop in a few weeks. Check your Spotify's and Apple Music, by the way. Uh, Anyway, music's a huge part of my life. I listen to music all day, and then I spend the rest of the day playing music, right? But that wasn't so for this. not, in this culture, you had to get somebody to play the music. (laughs) You had to pay somebody, or you had to know somebody that could play. And so to have music meant uh, something special is going on. So he goes up to one of the servants. He asks him, what's going on? And this is what the servant says. He said, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound. Your brother is back and your father took him back in. This would have been an absolute shocker to this older brother. This would have gone against everything in this culture, right? Again, you would have expected the dad to say, you're dead to me, hit him in the face, turn around and never speak to him again. This is a, a jaw drop, jaw-dropping moment 
when this brother hears this news. But it gets worse. Not only did he take him back, there's a party going on. He didn't just reluctantly take this brother back. He's throwing, a, he's throwing him a party. Think about what that means. The younger brother was completely reckless. He was rebellious. He brought shame to the family. And now that he's home, dad is throwing him a welcome home party. Seriously? All right, imagine you're part of a family. Let's do a little uh, illustration here. Imagine you're part of a family. And your younger brother gets hooked on like opioids and fentanyl. That's a very common American story right now. This is happening all over. So what he does is he borrows money from your parents and then doesn't pay any of it back. Then your brother starts stealing from your parents and then one day just completely disappears. Then your parents find out your brother took out loans in their name, credit cards, that sort of stuff, racked up a bunch of debt. So they have to file for bankruptcy and sell their house to pay these debts and everything. So they're embarrassed now. They don't want to hang out with their old friends because they're embarrassed of what's going on in their lives. And so they become super lonely. All the while, you're a hard worker, right? You went to college, I don't know, whatever it is. You, you know, you got one of those jobs where you get up really early and sit on the bus and you sit in the office all day and it's hard and, you know, three o'clock comes around and you're just exhausted and you're like, boy, I can't wait to get home. One of those kind of jobs, right? And so you're working, you're scraping by to help support your parents. You buy them food, you let them move in with you. Right? This brother has ruined your parents' lives. Then one day you come from home from work. This doesn't make sense because we all live in San Francisco, but let's imagine we live in the suburbs for a second. You drive home from work <laughs> and there's no parking anywhere near your house. And you circle and you circle and you circle and you have to park like four or five blocks away. And as you walk up to the door of your place, you start to hear music and laughter and you smell food. And as you walk in, expecting a normal night at home, there are tons of people in your house. What's going on? Oh, your drug addict, thief of a brother, just came home. So we catered dinner. We spent the last bit of our money on some dinner. We're having a huge party. This is so exciting, right? That's, that's what's going on here. What would you expect a reaction of somebody like that to be? You have got to be kidding me. That's how we would normally react. Unbelievable. Is he going to repay the family? This guy, he just shows back. Is he going to apologize? Is he still on drugs? Is he in rehab? Does he have a job? What's going on here? You would want to know some, some, some details of the situation. That's the older brother here. That's what he's dealing with. Right? So he was angry and he refused to go in. He was angry. Why was he angry? Well, it's more than, right, it's more than confusion. He is furious about this resentment that has built up over these years. And so he refuses to go in. I'm not going in. This is in our story, back to our story. You walk in, you, see, you smell the food, you hear all the music, you see people partying. You look in the corner and you see your brother and he's talking to somebody, having a great time. And instead of going in and giving him a hug, you walk right through the party, past all the party guests. You walk right into your room and slam the door. So make sure everybody can see that you do not approve of what's going on here. Let's come up with maybe, let's come up with a plan for him, this brother, this drug addict brother to pay us back, right? Let's, let's have him work it off. Let's have him uh, come up with a way to rebuild trust, something like that. You can imagine that scene, right? But a party? No way. So you go in, you slam the door, the whole place gets quiet, right? Because this is exactly, oh, hey, come on, guys. 
Uh, this is exactly, uh, it's, it's awkward, you know what I mean? It's like, have you ever been in one of those parties where it got real awkward real quick? Or like in a group? Do you remember this from like um, high school or something when your friend's mom yelled at him in front of you? And you're like, I don't know what to do with my hands, you know, like <laughs> kind of a thing. This is the thing, right? You walk and you slam the door and all of a sudden the entire party gets quiet. So what, what would your parents do, right? Let's go talk to him. So, oh wait, here we go. So swipe back. Uh, so his father came in and entreated him. So the father goes in. At the beginning of the story, the younger son, the prodigal son, right, the one we all know about, he leaves and he rebels against his father. He disobeys, he spits in his father's face, shames the entire family. Well, now we've come around. We've swung the pendulum around. Now, the older son is doing the exact same thing. He's spitting in his father's face and rebelling against what his father wants him to do. But what does the father do? He goes out to him. Just like with the younger son, with the older son, right, the well-behaved, hard-working, self-righteous son, the father is just as compassionate. Right? The, 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 the brother, the older brother in this story, is outside. He's sulking, refusing to be part of the family. And so the father goes out and he asks him, right? This is exactly what Jesus does with his enemies. This is the whole point of the prodigal son story. The very beginning of the story, they go, Jesus is eating with all these sinners and these wicked people. And Jesus tells a bunch of parables and he goes, yeah, that's basically the point. <laughs> that's the whole reason I'm here. Right? Not for you self-righteous punks, but for these guys. But at the same time, he wants to save the self-righteous punk as much as he wants to save the sinner who's lost in sin. Right? And so by even telling this parable, this is Jesus' version of the father going out to the younger brother. He could have just said, yeah, I'm going to eat with these guys. I'm going to hang out with these guys. I came to save sinners. I don't particularly like you guys, so you can beat it. <laughs> but that's not what he does. Right? He has this heart of salvation, right? So verse 29, keep going. But he, he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. That's a weird verse. Right? You never gave me a goat. We don't, this is not how we, you know, uh, you know, you bought my brother an Xbox or whatever. I don't know, something like that. I don't play video games, but, right? I've served you. I've never disobeyed. So, this older son who sucks, his foundation of why he thinks he's important in this family is look at the things I've done for you. My behavior. My idiot brother, he was out partying. I was at home working. Therefore, Father, you should accept me because of that. Uh, Tim Keller, who wrote that book, there's a couple on the back shelf there, I think. Uh, it's called The Prodigal God. It's a, he wrote a whole book about this particular parable. So we're gonna, and I told you, was it last week I said, I'm going to rip a bunch of this stuff off. And I'm going to quote this. It's, a great, it's probably my favorite book of all time. Anyway, he says this. The elder brother is not losing the father's love in spite of his goodness, but because of it. It is not his sins that create the barrier between him and the father. It's his pride and his moral record. It's not his wrongdoing, but his righteousness that keeps him from sharing in the feast of the father. How could this be? The answer is that the brother's hearts, in the, uh, sorry, the brother's hearts, the two ways of life that they represent, so the sinner and the church guy, are much more alike than they first appear, right? That's what's going on here. This brother's heart is hard. And he says, look, you never gave me a goat or whatever, right? Notice the end of the road for him is not the love of the father. It's something from the father. I need stuff from you, not the relationship with you. So he's defined now 
sin and righteousness. He's redefined it. Failure is what my brother did. Success is whatever it is that I did. Aren't we all really good at that? Everybody else sucks, but I'm pretty good. A prime example of this is anybody driving, especially me, <laughs> and especially when I'm on my motorcycle. <laughs> uh, everybody else that drives, is in, everybody that's in front of me is driving too slow and they're, they're an idiot. But anybody that tries to pass me, they're driving too fast and they're an idiot. You know what I mean? This is what we do. We look at the world with very self-centered eyes and we go, everybody else sucks and I'm great. That's what this brother is doing. Um, let's keep going, verse 30. But when this, he, he's yelling at his dad now for taking the younger brother back. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. This son of yours, doesn't even say my brother. Right? This is how I jokingly say to Melissa when one of the girls is acting up. When heaven, I can say her name now on a podcast. It's official, right? Uh, anyway, uh, when heaven is acting up, this is what I say to Melissa. Your daughter is blah, 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 right? <laughs> this is exactly what he's doing. He's distancing himself from the brother. He's not my brother anymore. He's your son. And then he gets into the credentials, right? He retells the story. Legalists, people who think they're great, are obsessed with other people's behavior. Right? It's constantly, if I can put that person down for the way that they behave, I can lift myself up. That's what they do. And so his, his, as he's thinking about his brother, he's thinking about his own behavior, um, what he's thinking is, I've earned it and he hasn't, and this is not fair. And so I'm going to stand out here like a four-year-old, and I'm going to fold my arms, and I'm going to sulk. I'm going to kick the ground, you know, and I'm going to be mad, and uh, I'm going to yell at my dad. So the dad responds, and he said, son, you're always with me. All that's mine is yours. First, he calls him son. The rebellion of the younger son, when he comes back, didn't change his status with the family at all. In the eyes of the father, he's his son. He's his son. He came home to what? Remember, he came home with his speech ready to rehearse it. All, you know, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. I don't remember it exactly, but like, I'm, I just want to be like a hired servant. I want to be a day laborer on your farm just so I can have something to eat. He comes home, he starts his speech. He gets like the first word out. And then his dad gives him one of those hugs where you pick him up off the ground and you spin him around like in the movies or when you're really excited to see somebody, right? That, that, nothing that son did changed his status. And then remember, the dad doesn't even let him get to finish the speech. Bring him the robe, bring him my robe. Uh, he lost his chucks, bring him some shoes. Uh, you know, bring him the fatted calf, which was, you know, they didn't eat meat at every meal. So um, this was like, what did I say last week? going to House of Prime Rib, right? We're going to House of Prime Rib and I'm paying for everybody, right? And so nothing he did changed his status as a son. The elder brother, sitting outside, pouting like a baby, living his self-righteous life, also in rebellion against the father, didn't change his status as a son. So the dad goes outside, he listens to his idiot kid whine, then he leans in and he calls him son. Not a hint of anger in this whole thing. He says, look, you're always with me. I can almost hear the older brother saying, who cares about that? You're always with me. Because remember, that's not what he wants. He doesn't want the relationship with the father. That's not what he's after. He's after the stuff. And I, I almost picture this like there's a long pause between these two parts. You're always with me. And the son rolls his eyes. Who cares about that? And all that I have is yours. Fine, you want the stuff? That's also yours. Everything that I have is yours. Your status as my heir has not changed at all. You're going to inherit everything. 
But you also have this brother. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. One of the most beautiful verses in all of scripture, right? He's challenging, the father is challenging the framework that the older brother was living in. What he's telling him is the way that you're seeing the entire world is wrong, right? The, the brother thinks the world works like this. If I'm good, I'm accepted by my father and I should be rewarded. So if I behave and I follow these rules, God owes me something, right? The father owes me something. But if I'm bad, the father can't accept me. And the father says, yeah, your brother, he was bad. But his behavior, again, is not what makes him part of this family. We never thought we would see him again. He disappeared. He took his money off into a far-off country. Another very interesting, like, historical note from the first century Roman world is not only did they not have Bluetooth speakers, they also didn't have cell phones, (laughs) right? You couldn't text this kid and find out, hey, how's it going, right? Dennis is in Germany right now. And uh, if you're listening to the podcast, hey, Dennis, what's up? Uh, we've been texting Dennis videos from Heaven's Adoption Day. We sent some videos back and forth. John just told me something about Dennis, got this job that he applied for. Dennis is in Germany, and we have all this information about Dennis, right? It's pretty cool. They didn't have that back then. We didn't know. He just literally walked away, and he disappeared, and we had no idea where he was. We thought we would never see him again. And here he is. He walked back. He's alive. He's my son and he's alive. So we got out the karaoke machine. We got House of Prime Rib. Somebody's in there singing Endless Love really terribly, right? And we're having a good time. People are drinking. Things are going well, right? We're partying. He's back. He was dead. We thought he was dead. Now he's alive, right? He was lost and now he is found. So this is where, you know, we're doing the second half of this parable. We did the first half last week. Here's the thing about this parable, though. That's where it ends. That's the end of the parable. That's weird, right? What happens? That detail that this parable is never finishes is the key to understanding the entire parable. It's a very weird place to end because we really want to know, does the brother come in to the party or does he stand outside kicking the sand and sulking and cursing his stupid younger brother that he can't stand, right? What happens? Well, let's go back to the context of this parable. Right? At the very beginning, Jesus, you suck. You keep eating with these sinners and these people that we don't like and we're Pharisees and we're better than everybody. And so Jesus tells this story. And the point of the story, right, the main character is the younger brother because he's the one who has to make a decision. The Pharisees that Jesus is telling these, this story to have to make a decision. Are you going to start hanging out with Jesus and these sinners? Are you going to come into the party of God's grace and his mercy, and you're going to enjoy this, and you're going to have a beer and sing Endless Love on the karaoke machine, or are you going to stand outside and sulk? There's such a danger with the sin of self-righteous church people, the older brothers. The older brother, right, he thought he was, he was saved. He thought he was great, and the younger brother was lost. The thing is, he had no category for his own lostness. Right? The idea that I can just behave and I'll be saved because of that is a, a, a way of being lost. Um, I told you we're going to do this Tim Keller. We're going to read a bunch from this Tim Keller book. Here's another one. There are only two ways. There are two ways to be your own Savior and Lord. One is by breaking all of the moral laws from the scriptures uh, and setting your own course. And one is by keeping them all and being very, very good. 
right? He says both of these are being lost because both of these assume that you're the Lord of everything and you're the center of the world and how you behave is what really matters. Both brothers were lost. The younger brother because of outward sin, the older brother because of his goodness. They both needed to come home to the father. Now, a lot of us might be thinking, well, I'm church people, right? I'm part of the porch. We're church planting, right? I'm all about the Pabst Blue Ribbon outreach stuff that we do here, you know, talking to my neighbors, being missional. I'm nobody in this parable, right? That's my, well, okay, slow down, right? If that's what you're thinking, uh, you're in trouble. Uh, Keller keeps going. There's a third group of people who need to understand, uh, sorry, there's a third group of people who need to understand elder brother lostness. There's a big difference between the elder brother and a real gospel-believing Christian, but there are also many Christians, genuine Christians, gospel-believing, missional, I go to the porch, I'm helping church plant kind of stuff, Christians who are elder brother-ish. I love that. If you come to Christ out of being a younger brother, there's always this danger of partially relapsing into addictions or whatever's the younger brother sins. But if you've come to, if you've become a Christian out of being an elder brother, a well-behaved church person, you went to VBS when you were, you did the whole thing, you can even be more easily, sorry, you can even more easily slide back into elder brother attitude and spiritual uh, deadness. If you have not grasped the gospel fully and deeply, you will return to being condescending, condemning, anxious, insecure, joyless, and angry all the time. And that's kind of our reputation because there's so many believers, you know, in the American church who act just like that, right? What's his list there? Read that again. Uh, Condescending, condemning, anxious, insecure, joyless, and angry all the time. That describes a lot of people who say that they follow Jesus, doesn't it? Because what's happening is we're acting like older brothers, So we have to be careful, even reading this parable and going, well, good thing I'm not like that older brother or that, okay, well, (laughs) that's not how that works, right? We all have this sin in our hearts and we've got to constantly fight the slide back into Jesus loves me because of my behavior, right? Not because, what did we just sing that song, right? He loves me just just because. That's That's why I love that song. He loves me just because. But I think there's one more idea in here that's very important. And this is my favorite part of Keller's book. I'm not going to read it. I'll just tell you what he says, basically. This is genius. So the context here, if you, the context of this parable is so important, reading the whole chapter, Luke chapter 15, right? In the chapter, Jesus actually tells three parables in response to the accusation. You keep eating with these sinners and accepting them and loving them and being nice to people that we don't like. And instead of saying, no, that's not true, Jesus tells three stories. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. Basically, there's a guy, loses one of his sheep, so he goes out and he finds him. And when he gets back, there's a huge party and everybody rejoices. The second parable is the lost coin. The lady is in her house and it's like evening and it's dark and all the floors were made out of dirt, you know. And she's looking at her money bag or whatever and she realizes, "Uh uh-oh, one of these is missing, these little coins. It's like, you know, imagine if we had a $100 coin. And so she's, oh man, it's got to be in the dirt somewhere. So she lights some candles, she starts sweeping. Eventually she finds the coin. Then she throws a big party because she's so happy. She's so filled with joy, but she spends a whole bunch of time like looking for the coin. The third parable is different though. If you follow the pattern of the first two parables, we would expect something in the third parable that's not there. When the, the sheep is lost, somebody goes and finds him. When the coin is lost, the lady sweeps her house and looks for it. 
when the younger brother is lost, what happens? Nothing. Nobody looks. Nobody goes out to find him. If we were to keep up the pattern from the first two parables, which biblical stories and patterns and stuff like that are very important because that's how people in the ancient world read stuff like this. They were a lot better at this than we are. If we were to keep up this pattern when the younger brother takes off, the older brother was supposed to go find him. That's what should have happened to help him make his way back. And this is why I love this Keller book so much, The Prodigal God. Keller talks about this. By putting a completely flawed elder brother into the story, Jesus is making the listeners, these Pharisees, these people listening, the disciples listening to this parable, long for a true elder brother, right? Not just long for the big bear hug of the father when you come home, but also for the missing brother, an elder brother who goes out to rescue the lost, who will bring back his siblings no matter the cost. And as we continue reading the book of Luke together, what we're going to see is that Jesus is that elder brother, right? As we read the rest of Luke, we see him, what? Dying. Why? To bring back his siblings, right? The reason he came to earth, the reason the whole book of Luke is happening is because he's acting like the kind of elder brother we would expect to see in this story. He pays the ultimate price for our freedom, for our redemption, so that if we're sinners like the younger brother, struggling with whatever it is, we can come back to the Father because the elder brother has paid the price for us. And if we're self-righteous punks like the older brother, that sin can be redeemed too because we have this true elder brother. Because of Jesus, we can come home to the arms of a loving, tender father. So the main, parable of, the main point of this parable is not don't be the younger brother and, you know, sin. It's also don't be the old, you know, the point is not don't be the older brother and think your goodness will get, both of those are true, but they're kind of sub points to the main point of this parable is to look at the character of God. This, which is why um, Keller, that guy Alexander McLaren came up with that and then Keller stole it, but he called his book the prodigal God, the reckless God, right? His love is like reckless. It's just, it's overflowing, and that's what we learn from this parable, is we learn about who our God is, right? The son is the missing brother who seeks and saves the lost. The father is filled with grace and compassion, right? The spirit unites us to those two. And every time a sinner repents, whether it's the younger brother or the older brother, when sinners repent, right? In heaven, somebody rings that bell. They all go nuts. They turn on the karaoke machine. They get out the wine and everybody starts partying, and so how do we then avoid being a younger brother or being an older brother? It's not really by doing anything. It's by looking in a certain direction. And that's the point, right? Is looking in the direction of this God and looking at what he has done for us and just going, wow, that's pretty cool, right? All right, let's pray.